Let our young people be dismissed for children's Bible time. Book of Ezra, the third chapter. Cash is here this evening, and uh, he has been here doing some scholastic activity for the last semester, and he's heading back home to the Charlottesville area for Christmas. And uh, then we'll be doing some work in uh, southwest Virginia uh, this next semester. So, Cash, it's been good to have you with us in the services. And uh, look forward to hearing what good things you're going to be doing in the future. Brother Beatty, it's good to see you tonight. Uh, thanks for wandering in. Saw your preacher yesterday. Uh, he was up to his normal self. I'll just say that. Brother Reed, a good guy down there in Fredericksburg. Now, we're in uh, Ezra chapter 3, verse 1. And when the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jehoshua, and the son of Josedach, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and built the altar of the God of Israel. Why? To burn to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses. And that's an interesting phrase. It occurs in verse 2, and it occurs in verse 4. Verse 4 says, They kept also the Feast of the Tabernacles, as is is written. Uh, verse 4 goes on to uh, stress that as the duty of every day required. And uh, verse 5, uh, drawing on that, uh, but it should be willingly. They uh, afterward offered the continual burnt offering, both of the new moons and of the set feasts of the Lord that were consecrated and of everyone that willingly offered a free will offering unto the Lord. shouldn't be uh, something that you're forced to do. It should be something that is of your heart. And hopefully that, that is. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray that you speak to our hearts this evening. We're going through the book of Ezra. Uh, certainly has a... Uh, connection uh, with the book of uh, Esther, and we understand that there was a, a 3% group that went back to do your work, the vast majority, 97% of the Christians, uh, the believers, the followers of Jehovah God, uh, refused, failed, or busy, connected, too busy to follow your command and your mandate to go back and return and rebuild the city. Uh, that was in disrepair. Too busy to do your work. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, we would be challenged to be part of the 3%. We'd not expect somebody else to do it. Uh, expect it to get done by another group. Uh, expect that uh, the, the professional clergy are going to get the job done. Uh, but that we, as uh, laymen co-laborers together for the cause of Christ would purpose in our hearts that we would follow you. And I pray that you would speak tonight and that you would move in our hearts, we pray and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. The year is 537 B.C. The place is Jerusalem. The task is rebuilding the temple. How are you going to do that without government approval? Well, chapter 1, we had government approval. Cyrus. Uh, 175 years before he was born, God called him by name and said, Cyrus uh, is, going to, is going to rebuild the city. Uh, and Cyrus, and we mentioned in that first, when we were in chapter 1, the unlikelihood that, Cy- that Cyrus knew this. 
that he would be mentioned in the biblical text 175 years before he was born. Because if you were here for that and uh, you remember uh, that uh, his grandfather, uh, uh, his, his family, they wanted to kill him. And they went out of their way uh, to, to have him killed and destroyed and removed from the face of the earth. And so the fact that he has become king, that he has even lived is a miracle. The fact that he has become king and God's word said that was going to happen is, is an is absolute uh, miracle. <clears throat> it's certainly not chance. Certainly not. Chapter 2, we had the people that, that went back. We had those that were, uh, had some money. Uh, and I just say there are three different groups of people that went back. And you can say, well, preacher, I've got a business, I've got money, I've got, I've got connections, I've got, uh, I've got customers here. I just, can't, I just can't up and leave and go follow God's direction. And say that to me one more time. I just can't leave and follow God's direction. <clears throat> and this first group of people in chapter 2 said, hey, we're, we're connected people. We're people that have money. We're people that could use the same excuses you're, you're using, but we're not going to use that excuse. A second group of people in chapter 2 were the people, the people that were, we'll just say, common people. Uh, they were blue-collar, everyday laborers, go to work, living paycheck to paycheck. And again, there were those that would say, Pastor, I can't follow the Lord. I mean, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I can hardly make it now. How does God expect me to go follow Him and do His will? But uh, those people that are listed in that second group in chapter 2 uh, stand out and say, you can absolutely do it. They did it. And out of the professional clergy, if you will, uh, 11. Uh, not, not a, not, uh, or I say 11. 11 leaders of the clergy, uh, just a few families out of the 24 families that should have gone. And so if you're expecting the professional preachers to get the job done, uh, they didn't, uh, the vast majority didn't show up either. 3% all across the board. Uh, pretty, pretty sad. Pretty sad. Now, why were they in captivity? They were in captivity because of disobedience. Which is important to understand as you come into chapter 3. Because chapter 3, if they're going to be successful in their endeavor of this endeavor to serve the Lord, they, they better fix the problem of disobedience. You should learn what got you into this mess and not repeat the same steps. Because if you repeat the same steps, you're going you're gonna to suffer the same result. The uh, Bible tells us it came to pass. It came to pass. The time had come. That 70-year captivity was over. And it was, and it, and it was time to go back and leave Babylon and go back to Jerusalem, uh, to Israel, and rebuild uh, that testimony to the Lord. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 9 prophesied that that 70-year captivity was going to end. But, but, think, but things have changed. Things have changed in the individual lives. Things have changed back in Jerusalem. Things are different. I tell people this. When it comes to realizing that you've done the wrong thing in the wrong way, realizing that you're in trouble, whether it be financial trouble or spiritual trouble, give yourself as much time to get out of the ditch as it took you to get into the ditch. Now, that, that phrase is pretty disheartening 
for a person who has for 70 years uh, been in the ditch. They say, Pastor, that means I'm, I'm going to be 140 years of age before I ever get out. The lesson is this. Don't expect it to happen overnight. But you should start to plot a course for that direction, which is what they're doing in chapter 2. A lot has changed in their own personal lives. A lot has changed in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is messed up. I mean, it is destroyed. It's war-torn. The countryside that once was in the hands of the Jewish people are now in the hands of the enemies of the Jewish people. That's who owned the countryside. The walls are torn down. The buildings are looted and destroyed. Anything of value has been removed. I don't know if you've ever seen a house like that, a house that has been vacant. Uh, sometimes it happens in landlord-tenant disputes or, the, or a foreclosure. Uh, I've seen this on a number of occasions in, uh, in my past, past life of police work. Uh, somebody gets evicted from the house. And so they're, they're going to show the bank or the mortgage holder, or uh, they're going to show them a thing or two. So they go through the house, and, and they take anything of value. I'm talking about the sink, the tub, the light fixtures, the lights. They'll pull copper wiring out of the wall, totally decimate the place. And, and you go in, and the mortgage company takes control, and they, and they call the police department, because look, look at what these people have done. And it... It, it, it'll take your breath away to see I, I, one uh, particular house that comes into mind was just off of Clifton Road, about uh, five miles south of uh, Route 29, uh, where you guys are kind of hanging out. Uh, and it was on a it was on a 10 acre lot and it was a mansion. It had mahogany uh, uh, paneling on the walls. And the woodwork had been removed. There was some that was left. You can tell, man, once upon a time, this was a beautiful house. I would have said at the time, 20 years ago, it was probably a million-dollar house. Today, it was probably a $3 million house. But uh, the people that had been in it before just totally destroyed it. So that's been going on for 70 years. Uh, people would say, hey, need some blocks for our home. I'm going to go down to Home Depot and get them. Why do it? Just go over there and take, take it out of that building over there. And uh, so Jerusalem was pillaged. I mean, it was picked over. Not only were the buildings torn down, but again, anything of value had been removed. Imagine just for a moment, well, hopefully this isn't prophetic, that you go home tonight and while you've been here at church, somebody goes through your homes and takes out all the lights, all the faucets, all the sinks, all the toilets, uh, everything of value. The refrigerator's gone. The, uh, <laughs> you'd, you'd probably sit down and cry. I'm, there's no doubt that these people sat down and cried as they came back to see the desolation. I don't think that anything could have really prepared them for what they were going to see when they arrived home in chapter 3. The destruction was needless. Again, it would literally... the the, the the degree of devastation would literally take your breath away. So very sad. So very sad. I say needless because it was a result of disobedience. It was a result of knowing what God said in His Word and just not doing it. It was a result of 
knowing how God said you ought to worship and not doing it. It was a result of the direct, disobedient living of God's people. It didn't have to happen. It happened because of their disobedience. To add insult to injury, the temple, Solomon's temple, that was once magnificent, glorious, built some 500 years earlier, was destroyed. Imagine for a moment the beauty of, in in our area, the beauty of the Capitol and the White House and the the monuments and the memorials that are over in Washington, D.C. Imagine for a moment that you came back to America after being gone for a few years and found them destroyed and then rubbled. And, and you remember, because you visited there once upon a time and walked through those halls and saw the, the, the precious stones that had been playing. And, and now, it, now it's gone. Now it's destroyed. And you, you shake your head and say, man, what a, what a shame. What a shame. Imagine over in Egypt, uh, those, the pyramids that have been there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Imagine if uh, they were uh, destroyed by looters. You say, man, what, 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 what a shame. Absolutely. Uh, what a shame. Uh, and that was gone forever. The temple, Solomon's temple that had stood for some 500 years is gone. Gone forever. Gone forever. So what are they going to do? Step number one, if your life is a mess, if your life is a wreck, if your life is shipwrecked, if your life is in shambles, if your life is a pile of rubble, what is the first thing you should do? Chapter 3 is going to give us the answer for that. What did they do first? Verse 2, they build an altar. They built an altar. Now, they're going to build the altar God's way. They're going to build the altar as God said. And I pointed out uh, verse 2 and verse 4, as it is written, as it is written. It, when you mess things up, it's, it's important to go back to the instruction manual. It just is. And to know where the instruction manual is absolutely drives my kids bonkers. They call me, call me on the phone. Uh, Dad, uh, what kind of oil should I use in my car? Uh, and this is what I tell them. Now, I know. Because I changed the oil in their car. And I could tell them what filter it is. But I'm not going to tell them. I said, you know, in your glove box, there's a, neat, there's a book. It's called an owner's manual. And you get your owner's manual out, and you'll look on there. You look in the back, and there's going to be an index. And you look under oil, and you look under oil, it'll tell you a page number. Go to a page number. And this is what they say back to me. Oh, Dan, just tell me. I know you know. I know you know. But I want them to know where to go for the answers. It's important to know where to go for the answers. Go back to the instruction book. Many would say, preachers are clueless. Priests are clueless. That's what they were saying. I can see the men saying, preacher, preacher, we we don't have time for this. Building altar? (laughs) There is so much more important stuff to do than build the altar, please. I mean, we, we, we don't have a front door. We don't have walls. We don't have gates of the city. We don't have protection. We, we are at, we, 
We do not have time to build an altar. A shelter, maybe, but an altar. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, when you get back to God, the first thing you better be building is an altar. There's so much work. We don't have time for worship. Listen, your life is such a mess. You can't afford to be without God's help. These people in, in Ezra, things are such a mess. They absolutely need God's help. So they began. How often? Well, verse 3, look at verse 3. And they sat, and they set the altar upon bases, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries, and they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings. How often? Tell me, you're in the text, open book test, morning and evening. Morning, morning and evening? Like on Sunday, right? Yeah. And Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday. A preacher, you expect me to come to church on Sunday night? Uh, seven days a week, morning and evening. They did it every day. It is important. Do you worship the Lord every day? Sacrifice as commanded? I wrote out in the margin of my Bible, on, on, on verse, verse 1, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Unity is so important in any task, at the workplace. You don't have unity. You're, you're in trouble. In the home, if you don't have unity, in your trouble. In, in the football team, if you don't have a unified offense and defense, you're in trouble. Can you imagine for a moment if the line just decides, you know what, this play, we're, we're not blocking. It can be disastrous for the quarterback. Quarterback, what are you guys doing? Oh, we just... We didn't feel it. What do you mean you didn't feel it? I felt it. <laughs> the whole defensive line just mowed me over. Well, you know, you know, we, we, just, we, we, we were just, we weren't emotionally invested in it. <laughs> well, you're about to get emotionally invested in it. Uh, he, you know, beat on your helmet. Uh, football team's not going to make it. But we think somehow in religious things, in spiritual things, that, that we don't have to be of one mind, of one accord, heading in one direction. Unity is so very, very important. <clears throat> I also say this, as it is written, verse 4, every day required, God has a, a specific method for worship. And I talked to the Zoom people for a minute. A Zoom is not church. Doesn't fulfill God's requirement to come out. And be separate. The church, a called out assembly. Zoom doesn't, Zoom doesn't fit that. Now, if you're out there and uh, I miss Dorothy, you're at home and you can't make it out, we understand that. And if you're a senior citizen and you can't, go, you can't drive at night and you're, and you're stuck at home, I, I get that. If you're in the hospital, if you're in, uh, I don't know, Scotland and, uh, and, and, there's, nobody, and there's, no, there's no church there, you know, I get that. But if you're in Springfield... And you could be here tonight, and you're not. You, you haven't fulfilled God's requirement of worship. Zoom, Zoom doesn't qualify for God's method. It just doesn't. So they built an altar. They built the altar before the temple building. As I prayed, Pastor, we can't, we can't worship. Again, build an altar. 
We have a church building yet. They don't wait for the church building. They don't wait for the temple to be rebuilt. They built the altar first. Where people could come and offer sacrifices and pray. Seek God's face. Seek God's help. And I had, when I started chapter 3, I gave it a title. I started with a title. And then off to the right-hand side, I, I, I write where I am, Lighthouse Baptist Church. And I write the passage, Ezra chapter 3. And I write the date. And then I slide back over to the left. And I start with introduction. And I start going, going through that. And so I, I, I had given it a title. And I, I, I'm, I'm on my way down. I'm in the end of point one. And I, I come to this. I thought, you know what? They, they have built... They are starting to rebuild their lives out of the rubble of their past disobedience. That's a great title for chapter 3. And so I went back up to the top. And I'm so thankful for cut and paste. Years ago when I would cut and paste, I would get my outline done and I would take a pair of scissors and I would cut. And then I would paste things up and down. Uh, kids, kids don't understand that. So when the computer program came out and it said cut and paste, <laughs> that was something I understood. Uh, you would not have wanted to see my outlines in the early days before you could really cut and paste on the computer because I physically did it. But uh, I was able to, to pull the outline, uh, to pull the title out and put it up, put it back up there because that's where the children of Israel are. They are literally building out of the rubble of their past disobedience. And that's not, that is not an easy thing to do. As a pastor, for this number of years, I have spent my life helping people rebuild their lives out of the rubble of their own past disobedience. I could not even begin to count the number of times that I have been in the Fairfax County Jail talking to young men and young women trying to encourage them to rebuild their lives out of the rubble of their past disobedience. By the time you get there, your life is really a mess. To the state prison system around the state, I, it would depress me to have to think about the, the, the hours I have spent traveling on the road, going to different prisons around the state, ministering to young people that once sat in this room. But it's important for them to rebuild their lives out of the rubble of their past disobedience. And that's what Israel is doing here. And so they're rebuilding the altar. Why? Because that's ought to be the center of our lives, the center of worship. It shouldn't be just something that we throw in on, on a Sunday. It should be something that we do every single day from the moment our eyes open in the morning uh, till the end of the day. I have found that I need God. I have found that on the days when I get busy, and forget that I need God, that those days are pretty, pretty much messed up. And so I'm two o'clock in the afternoon, and my day is an absolute catastrophe, and I stop and think, uh, hmm, 
preacher, it's time to rebuild the altar. And I'll come in and I'll bow, bow my knee here at the altar. Sometimes be a Thursday. And, and sometimes it's not anything that's a result of what I've got going on in my life. It's just, just things exploded around me. And I'll, it'll be a Thursday night. And Thursday night's a Bible study day. But, you know, a funeral took place and this took place and a hospital visit took place. And now it's 8 o'clock at night and I'm, uh, now I'm mentally weary. Uh, but uh, there's Bible study that has to be done. And you think, boy, you should get in the office and get to work. But I, I know better than that because I'm going to go in the office and I'm going to get to work and it's not going to go well and I'm going to have to stop and realize I can't rebuild this mess without God's help. And so you'll see me on a Thursday night. If it's late and I'm coming in, you'll see me stop right here before I go back there. And if I'm sometimes I'm back at my office and uh, and I've done everything that I should do throughout the day and I've been talking to the Lord and, and asking Him for help and it's just just sometimes it just doesn't go good. I'll get up out of my desk and I'll walk out that door and I'll fall on my face back at this altar wire because I I've, I have found that I need God's help. And if you mess things up, you need God's help. If you haven't messed things up. You better stay on your knees uh, seeking God's help or you're going to mess things up. Just so very, very important. And so uh, they're going to rebuild the altars. Number two, what is the second thing that they did? Look at verse 10. And the builders laid the foundation of the temple before the Lord. That's an interesting thing. They built, they laid the foundation and then, then they're going to, they're going to have a celebration service. Step number two, let me say, step number two, building the foundation of the temple. Step number two should always follow step number one. Now, I say that, and Brother McKay is looking at me like, well, sure, yeah, that makes common sense. But I know there are guys in the room, and and I had brothers that didn't follow instructions. Uh, They would give the instructions to me to read, because they knew I was an instruction reader, and they would set out... I don't know, building the model car, uh, putting things together, uh, doing car repairs. I'm sitting back there reading the manual, uh, seeing how it's supposed to get done. And they get about halfway through and they say, what, what is this piece? And I look at it and I said, that was on step one. And they'd have to take everything back apart because they forgot they were doing a brake job uh, back in the day when you had 17 springs on your rear brakes. And some of you young people aren't going to know what that means. And uh, they'd have to take it all apart and take tire off because, and, and, and take all the, the clip back off because this one spring that was way behind everything else had to go in first before all this other stuff went in. Uh, but so, so I just say, fellas, step two should follow step one. It should. Before, but before you can lay the foundation... Again, think of the, the mess that the city is in. Before they can lay up the foundation, they've got to clear away the rubble. The next time you're by a building that they're tearing down, they just tore one down in Springfield. The crane was up there. The ball was going back and forth. They tore one down uh, over by uh, the Beltway and route, uh, uh, Washington Street, the parkway there. And it's just interesting. That stuff just falls everywhere. Now they're they're building they're going to build a new building here in Springfield, and they're going to build they 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 have built a new building here over uh, off the Beltway, 
Uh, but before they can do that, they got to they got to clear the rubble away. I'm just saying, if you've got sin in your life, it's got, you've got to clear that away before you can lay another foundation. You can't lay a foundation on a, on piles of rubble that is sitting there. It's it's not going to last. You got to clear away the debris field. You got to get rid of the sin. I mean, it's got to go. It, it's called getting back to basics, to doing what. God required. And how long did that take? Well, verse 8 tells us it's the second year. And we're talking, again, allow yourself as much time to get out of the ditch as it took you to get into it. It's going to take some time to clear away the rubble, to dig the trench, to lay the footers. And in our area, how, how deep has it got to be? There, there's, there's a code for this. How deep has it got to be, by the way? 27 inches. Now, in Michigan, the figure is different because the frost line is different uh, for 42 inches uh, in, in the colder climates. And probably even more than that in North Dakota. And then you got to dig a trench. You got to put it down there. It's got to be rebar. There, there, there's code for this, right? Yeah, yeah. Call, call the engineer. Or you can just build over top of the rubble and then... When your building falls down and your walls are cracked, you can call the engineer and they say, well, what in the world is the matter? And the engineer said, didn't you clean away the debris before you started building? Oh, no, I just decided to build on top of it. <laughs> yeah, he's going to do that right there. He's going to go, oh, <laughs> rub his face and put his hand down, head down and go, <laughs> well, now you've got to tear your building down to dig the foundation to make it right. So in the second year. But the end of verse 8 tells us they set forward the work of the house of the Lord. They made it a priority. Step number one, read the instruction manual. Build that altar. Do it right as God commanded. And then don't make the same mistakes again. I remember we had a, a fellow here years ago that was building and he had a set of plans in front of him. He didn't know what the plans meant. And, he, and, he, and he's doing something around the windows. And Ray says, you're supposed to have three two-by-fours there. He said, how, how am I supposed to know that? And Ray said, it's, it's on the plan. You see this X here? Yeah. And this X here? Yeah. And this X here? He said, yeah. Three two-by-fours. Each X is a two-by-four. He went, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got plans. You've got to follow them. It's important to do that. The world is not going to do that for you. Richard, what should I do? What do you know to do? Well, let's start out there. What do we know is right to do? Well, we know it's right to read the Bible. We know it's right to pray. We know it's right to be in church. We know it's right and proper to be around God's people. Start out with what you know is right to do. But make sure you go to God's Word. I wrote this uh, phrase down and I highlighted it. Obey the Lord in the small, and I put in parentheses, insignificant details of life if you want to be successful. And, and as I was reading over my outline just a few moments ago before the service, I looked at that small, insignificant details of life and I thought, can you really say in the spiritual life when it comes to things of God's Word, that there is really small, insignificant details? No. 
No, probably not well written, not well said. Those small insignificant details are what is going to trip you up. And then they praise. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 11. They sang together by chorus and praising, giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great voice when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house. Now, wait a minute. They've been in captivity for 70 years. How old would some of these guys have been? 80, 90 years of age. Why, why are the... It amazes me, Brother Frank, because you're not 70. Do we have a work project? Frank's here. Works like he's a 22-year-old. I can't keep up with him. I try. I hurt. He's got to hurt at the end of the day. Man, the old, the old guys show. The old guys here are part of the three percent. Where are the young people? Going to let the old guys do it all by themselves? Well, here's a the guy. They had seen the temple, so they had been in, in captivity for 70 years. They had seen Solomon's temple and all that glory. Again, they had to be at least 10 years of age to remember that. So they got to be some 80 years of age, 80, 90 years of age. And they cried. They had seen the first house when the foundation was laid before their eyes. They wept with a loud voice. Young people are shouting for joy. The old men are weeping. Because of the needless waste. How much was it? Verse 13. So that the people could not discern the noise for the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the noise was heard afar off. And both are necessary. Don't wait. They enjoyed a public, united, public praise service. It was intense. It was emotional. Everybody gathered together. Again, that's not Zoom. That's right here. That's right here, in this room. Tonight, what we will do, we'll stop, we'll praise. Some around the room will weep. Some will shout for joy. Some of the old men will shake their heads and say, you know, I've never seen America in the mess that it is. Some young people will say, this is the only America I've ever known. And to them, this is normal. But to the the old crowd, it's not normal. It hadn't always been this way. Praise. Praise is not a choice. Praise is a choice. Praise is not a feeling. Preacher, I just don't, I just, I just don't feel it. Just, just don't feel it. Not a feeling. Psalm 34 says, I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my house. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Psalm 62, trust at all times. Psalm 106, do righteousness at all times. We're just supposed to do it. Not because it feels right. Not because it gives us a warm, fuzzy feeling. But as my dad would say, do right. And before you ever got a chance to say, why? What's the use? Dad never waited for the question. Do right because right is right to do. And that's good. That's good admonition. What is chapter 3? 
building out of the rubble of past disobedience, doing right, because right is right to do. Father, help us to do that. Help us to do right, because it is right to do. Father, no doubt, listening this evening, are some that would say, I have to clear away the debris field before I can start building out of the rubble of my past disobedience. Before I can lay that foundation. I understand that. And I'm here to help them, encourage them to do that. Father, we're going to start right here at the altar tonight and start with a prayer time asking you to work, asking you to help us to do the right thing in the right way. And we're not just going to do it on Sunday or Wednesday. We do it every morning, every evening, every day, for the rest of our life. Help us to do that. And we'll praise you. Praise you for your blessing, for you are good throughout all eternity. In Christ's name, amen. If you have a prayer request card, send that to the I.